Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, here from ABWE International, joined as always by my esteemed boss, co-host, mentor, and friend, brother-in-arms, Scott W. Dunford, and we are joined over the phone by two incredible young ladies who I would love to introduce to you and share a little bit about their credentials, but I can't. Um, because of security, we want to protect their ministry. They minister in a, a part of the world uh, that is not overly welcoming towards missionaries, uh, a country in Islamic North Africa. And so we're going to be talking today to two ladies that we'll refer to for the duration of the interview as Gladys and Hazel. Uh, Gladys uh, in honor of Gladys Alward and Hazel just because we needed another, um, shall we say, seasoned female name. Uh, is that fair? Yes. Um, so Gladys and Hazel, we are so glad that you two uh, wonderful ladies could join us. And uh, starting, I suppose, with Gladys, um, would you just introduce yourself as much as you can? Share what led you to North Africa, um, your background, and then also Hazel as well, just to, to introduce yourself and share some of those things. Sure. Well, thanks a lot for having us today. I was raised in a Christian home, and I was exposed to missions right from the beginning. And my parents were very hospitable, had a lot of people into their homes as, you know, I can remember people in our homes as young as three, four years old, and just really absorbing the missionary stories and hearing what they were doing and just really developed a heart for missions from a young age. When 9-11 happened, God just really opened up my eyes to the Muslim world and just really gave me a heart for Muslim women and just the captivity they're in, especially in just such a works-oriented religion where women really have no assurance if God will ever accept them or not. And from there, God just started drawing my heart to the Muslim world, uh, specifically to North Africa, just because of the great physical needs there. And I knew that if I was going to the Muslim world, I really needed to go with some sort of platform, some sort of reason to go that you can't just go in as a missionary. So I have a degree as a nurse practitioner, and I just felt like there were a lot of physical needs in North Africa where I can use my skills there to meet uh, physical needs, and that I can also then get to know the ladies there and really start building relationships. So that's really how my journey got started and where God's been taking me. And how many years have you been there now? Uh, about five and a half. Wow. And so, Hazel, what about you? Well, my story's a little different. I was not interested in overseas work at all. And I um, was getting closer to the Lord. I was going through a certain Bible study uh, called Holy Ambition by Chip Ingram. Highly recommend Chip Ingram's thing. Love his stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I was getting close to the Lord and having my quiet time, uh, he just started whispering things that were not for me and they could only be from him. And I was about to take a new job, um, as a nurse, my like dream job in trauma nursing. And the Lord was just whispering to me in those quiet times when I would get close to him and they were not things that I wanted to hear. And so I fought him. And finally, I decided to give in and say, this can only be from the Lord, that he is leading me to go to another part of the world. I didn't know where. And I was still very resistant, but he just kept leading me that way. And I couldn't deny the voice in my head, that small voice that kept whispering, follow me. I don't 
I'm not going to tell you where right now. And I, I just had to follow. Um, and it's been a wild adventure ever since. But that was essentially how I ended up in North Africa. So how did you get from this uh, uncertainty of, of, of where to the specific place that you are in North Africa? There had to be some steps that led to that place because people don't just accidentally end up where you're at. Especially a place where <laughs> nobody else with the organization yeah. was serving. Right. You were the only ones on the team at the moment. Right. Yeah. So the first time that I ended up at ABWE, um, uh, Terry Large put me next to Gladys at our table. And from that moment, we were friends, but we were not going to the same place. And it, uh, it took a lot. We, uh, we both went to language school at the same time, but we were not going to the same place. And the Lord just kept saying, nope, you're, you're going here, you're going here. So I eventually, um, I eventually gave in to that. There was a lot of tears. Um, I, it was not willingly, but I knew that's what the Lord wanted. Well, and so how many years have you been there now? So I, we actually went at the same time. So five and a half years. Wow. So it sounds like Gladys was the dominant influence there as, as you were sitting next to her throughout the class. So Gladys, how did you first hear about this country in North Africa? Uh, I'm not exactly sure when I first heard about it, but I had met some missionaries that had served in in the North Africa part of the world and had done short-term trips into our country. And when I went to a medic to the Global Missions Health Conference in Louisville, Kentucky, which I know ABWE has a presence there as well. They'll be there this uh, year. I was walking around and just talking to people and saying, hey, I'm interested in North Africa. This is my skill set. And it just seems like every place I went, someone had just come back from our country either on a short-term trip or they were there long-term or they were spending a short-term trip there. And then all of the speakers mentioned our country by name, shared wow. examples about the need. And at the end, the last message basically encouraged us to not be looking for white writing on the wall from God, but to mm -hmm. just start moving in a direction and watch how he could work. And at that point, I'm like, okay, I think I have the writing on the wall time to head towards this country and, you know, started making calls, commission boards, just saying, I'm interested in this country. What can you do? And ABWE was really one of two who were willing to, that matched with my theological desires in a mission board, who were willing to say, yes, we will consider this. We will look into this. And here we are, you know, probably like seven years down the road on the on this hmm. journey. Now, one of the biggest questions that I would have that you probably get asked a lot, we talk a lot in missions about unreached people groups and about pioneer missions, mm -hmm. even though the majority of missionaries are in places that might be considered quote unquote reached. That's not the case with you. You're in a country that's, you know, 99.9% .9 Muslim. What is day-to-day -day life like in this pioneer missions context where with with a few exceptions, you guys are really some of the only Christians that you know, um, and you're you're really spending your life there, right there on the front lines. That can be such a hard thing for us to even envision. So what does that look like? And I'd love for Gladys and Hazel to both answer that because you guys both have, have different personalities and wirings. Yeah. One is more of an extrovert and one as more of an introvert. And it would be really neat to, to hear about some of the ways that God has used both of those wirings there on the field. Yeah, for us, we are very different personalities, and that can be a really difficult thing, and it can also be a 
a wonderful thing when we are in harmony in our team. And for us, uh, Gladys is definitely the extrovert. And I often use her as my comfy blanket when I'm around the world with her. If I get a little too overwhelmed, I just find Gladys and uh, I can relax. I'm like you, Hazel. Um, I'm like you, Hazel. I can't stand yeah. too many people. And I'm like Gladys. Say hey. Yeah. <laughs> I need my comfy sweater. Where is she? <laughs> yeah. We've noticed that it is Pioneer, but it is like anywhere else. Um, what Gladys and I are doing when we're in the space, um, it's the same thing we're, over, we're doing over there. And um, we're nothing special. We're just living life. And it is pioneering. There are, there are a lot of hardships over there. Um, but the way that God has created both of us is really a beautiful thing that when we are encouraging one another, um, you know, Gladys is out making friends and, you know, she brings them to the house. And then I can have one-on-one time with them. And it works great. She's definitely the networker. And I'm more of the one-on-one type. So we see that mm-hmm. the Lord uses all types. How does your medical work play into that desire to build relationships and share the gospel? How does that tie in? In order to have a visa there, you have to go through a big paperwork process. And one of the things is having a job or a reason to be in country. And so using our medical work, we have a visa through that, through the clinic where we work. Um, we were thinking initially we we're going to use our patients and get to know our patients better and get into their homes, but we really found that they're not interested really in building relationships with their providers. They come in, they get their problems fixed, and then they leave, and they're happy, but they really don't need any any further contact with us. But we are finding that God just brings bring people into our paths when you least expect it. And so it's really just being intentional. So the medical work we do is a great way we've been able to build relationships with our colleagues and get to know them and go to their homes and have them over. So in that aspect, we have been building relationships. In fact, Hazel, you should share about one of our colleagues that we work with, how that has really played into a part. Yeah, one of um, the nurses we work with, she is an imam, which if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like the Muslim pastor, equivalent to a Muslim pastor. So he's a very highly educated man, um, but he's also a nurse. And he came to work with us in one of our projects. And we get to spend hours in the car traveling around the city. Um, and all we have is time just to sit there and talk in the car. So um, at first, there was a lot of he would like to bring up spiritual matters to debate them and argue with us and try to convert us. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've slowly developed friendship with him, which has made all the difference because he's gotten to see that we care about him. We care about his wife. We care about his new baby. And we want to be his friend. Um, and so the questions that were debate you know, for him have now turned into you know, in the silence of the car turning to one of us and saying, do you really think that Jesus is the son of God? Can we talk about that? Mm. Um, so turning from, you know, the debate to the inquiring and just mm-hmm. honestly, I can, I'm your friend now and uh, I want to know about this. So that's, that's what we've seen. I think the big thing that just using our medicine or using anything that God has build us in, whether it's teaching English or uh, business or whatever, the calling is just allowing the spirit to work through us because people really do see a difference 
the society is not a very loving society. Um, it's, it's a harsh society, a harsh culture. And when they're seeing us show love to the children, show love to the unwed mothers, showing love to people with AIDS, people that have been cast out of the society or the society just does not view as good members and seeing us love on them in spite of whatever their background is, they're starting to see that as a difference. And they see that we do love their people and their society as a whole, but also as individuals. And I think that is such a big part of just showing how much God loves humanity and how much God loves each individual life. So you guys are really doing ordinary life. And it's amazing to hear just your approach is just to be intentional um, about every single okay. conversation, which is uh, hopefully the way that we can all learn to live no matter where we are in the world. But for you guys, mm-hmm. you really had to both um, wrap your head around the fact that this is a this is a long term process that you are, yeah. um, you know, if, if you compare it you know, to an agricultural analogy, you guys are removing mm-hmm. the stones, you're tilling the ground, you're planting seed as you have opportunity. You're not reaping a harvest yet. It's it's very yeah. hard and rocky ground. It's it's analogous to the desert setting that you guys actually find yourself in. What, what passages of scripture even have you turned to to draw comfort in that and to really learn to embrace sometimes the gradualness of that process and of seeing God prepare hearts to receive the gospel. Well, when you were talking, the first passage that jumped into my heart was Isaiah 35. And in verse one, it says the desert and the dry ground will be glad. The dry places will be full of joy. Flowers will grow there like the first crocus in the spring. And then verse two the desert will bloom with flowers. It will be very glad and shout for joy. Mm. And then at the end of that, it says everyone will see the glory of the Lord and they will see the beauty of our God. And I know that is the desire of our heart is to, that we believe that through God, only through God, will the desert bloom um, spiritually or physically. And I know that passage is a really uh, big encouragement to my heart. Mm. One of the other unexpected ways that God has been using you guys too, as well as is, is with the very small um, number of national believers that there are, mm. uh, whereas you guys have, you know, an evangelistic focus. Um, God's also used you to help pull together some of those national believers. And it's really resulted in a mindset change uh, from what I understand from some of our conversations offline among them. Uh, so what does that ministry of yours actually look like? We work mostly, at this point, we've been working with a lot of other cross-cultural workers. And I would say our work is probably more with pulling that community together because the small national group that is there is there's just a lot of mistrust and just a lot of challenges Rather than jump into somebody else's ministry, we have been trying to pull the worker community together so that we can all have one focus and to really see the nationals building trust with the missionaries, the missionaries having trust with the nationals and just really seeing a unity in the body of Christ. When you talk about the nationals not necessarily trusting the workers, even though they're both believers, Mm -hmm. You're not just right. talking about a cultural gap. You're talking about really no. trust in terms of, hey, this religion is illegal. 
and the risk yeah. of I'm going to turn you over to the authorities. Is that, that that's some of the tension that you're talking about? Yes, definitely. And some of that has happened. There has been things that have happened where it has cost people to lose great things um, because of that distrust. And then there's also the distrust between national believers because they could also um, they could be put to death according to Sharia law. So they don't necessarily trust others in other ethnic groups or other people that say that they're believers. They say they're really not. So there is a lot of turmoil under the surface. So Hazel, I have a question for you. Um, as you were thinking about this process and, and both of you were thinking about going, I'm sure you got a lot of uh, questions and raised eyebrows and maybe even some <laughs> opposition from from Christians here about that. Can you explain that? Just walk us through a little bit of that. Like, What was that like explaining to the body of Christ um, this calling? Um, how has the church encouraged you? And what are some of the challenges that you would give to people as they're thinking about, hey, sending their sons and their daughters even uh, to these um, remote and what people would think of as hostile uh, situations to the gospel? Yeah, we, we get those questions a lot. And we say, we hear, you know, you're so brave to have gone over there. And, you know, we just respond that, you know, we're in the will of the Lord and this is our temporary home. So whether we're in the States, whether we're across in another part of the world, um, you know, I'm safe in my father's hands. And for for me and um, even for my parents, a lot of people ask my parents that same thing. And my parents just answer, you know, we don't worry about her because we know that she is in the father's hands. And so that brings me a lot of peace. And I try to share that with people because it usually shocks them that my parents are fine. Um, and that they don't worry about me because they know where I rest. They know the future and they have hope in that. Um, mm-hmm. So I try to share that as much as possible. And it's really, it's a lot of just educating, um, you know, people about the way that God wants us to think about life and how he wants us to think about his agenda for us, for the world, um, what my purpose is, what what God has in store for me. Um, you know, he wants the best for me, but what we think is best is not, is not usually what the best is for us. Um, <laughs> but a lot of goes over to the Lord. And I try to encourage the body, and there are a lot of encouraging people for me. You know, they're constantly telling both Gladys and I that they're praying for us, and I believe them. I mean, we have had too many things happen where we should be seriously harmed or dead. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's because the body has been praying. Um, so I know mm-hmm. the Lord hears those, that people are going before the throne of God, um, that they are pleading for us. Um, but we also know that at any moment we could be gone. And I just love telling people, if I'm, I'm ready to go. Whenever the Lord takes me <laughs> home, um, the fight will be over. Hmm. And it will be a wonderful day. So is the danger that is there, is that, is that real? Um, do, you, do you sense that there is real, uh, real danger for, for Christian workers in, in North Africa? Definitely. Yes. And yes, a lot of, um, we've had very close friends within the last year have uh, physical attacks that should have ended in their death. Um, and for some reason, the Lord intervened in all of the circumstances that happened, and they were saved from certain deaths. Um, so there is, it's a, it's a real thing, but it's also a real thing right here in the States. So, 
One of the encouraging. My message. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's okay. I just want to say my message to the church, to the listeners would be to stop telling your young people to be safe because Mm. the scripture does not tell us to be safe. It tells us to be wise, but it tells us to give up everything. And we are, the church is adopting the American dream of that safety, that security and finances of job security. And that is not what we are called to as believers. And I do believe it's those parents, those grandparents telling them to get that success, to be safe, to not go to scary places that is really hindering the spread of the gospel. That's an incredible uh, exhortation and rebuke, and it's really convicting even for us living in the States. We're not called to stay safe. But one one question that I had um, that I wanted to bring up was just that, um, Gladys, you you shared a story of a a young woman that you had the chance to uh, Mm -hmm. share the good news with. Uh, right before you left for your most recent furlough. And we've been praying here around the office that this mm-hmm. would potentially be the, the first person that you see come to Christ through your ministry yeah. directly. Um, uh, without compromising too many of the uh, details there, would you be able to share that story? Because I think it would be an encouragement too that there is fruit. Sure. Um, I met this young lady, I'll call her Sarah. I met her at a center that a friend of mine was running, and we hit it off. She's a very young, vibrant young lady, and uh, we just started getting together for meals. I brought Hazel along with me. We both got to know her a little bit, and I just really sensed that she was somebody that was opening up very quickly. And then I lost touch with her for several months, and I just prayed for her. She was very heavy on my heart. And about a week before I left North Africa to come back to the States, I got a call from her and we got together and it was just the Holy Spirit had been working in her heart those three months that we hadn't talked. She was looking up things online about different religions. She was starting to believe that Islam was not the only way to heaven. Uh, Currently, she believes that all paths lead to heaven. And she just starts dialoguing with me. And it was just, you could just see the spirit just really working in her heart, even through the conversation and through me and just being able to just have a normal, friendly dialogue of, well, you know, I don't believe that all religions lead to God. I believe that there can only be one path. And I was just able to share with her the the gospel. We already had that trust and that foundation built, and I could just tell her who I believe Jesus is, why I believe he's so important, why I know I'm going to heaven because of his sacrifice and resurrection. And we were able to leave the conversation in just such an amazing place where she just thanks me for sharing. And God is really working in her heart. So you can be praying for Sarah that God would just keep talking to her. You know, part of me has that prideful, like, I can't believe I'm leaving in a week and I can't disciple her and I can't walk her through the Bible. But God knows that. He probably orchestrated it that way. So I can't say it was me that said it. It was clearly him orchestrating it. That's amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. We will be praying for Sarah. So just a couple 
more questions for you. You know, um, what do you think? You know, I, I know there's a lot of fear of Islam in America. Um, um, I've been blessed with a lot of really great Muslim friends over my years. But what would you say some yeah. of the biggest misconceptions are about um, Muslim mm-hmm. peoples? And, uh, you know, what what are some of the joys you you find in, in just living in that culture and working mm-hmm. with those people? Yeah. There's, there's so many joys. Um, it is yeah. a beautiful culture. The way their hospitality, they just mm-hmm. bring you in. You say one word in, in their language and they're just over the moon or you put on the mm-hmm. local dress and they just, they love you for it. And you come into their house and sit down and they're instantly feeding you and giving you things to drink and very, a very welcoming uh, community. Um, and I, I really appreciate that. And when I come to the States, it's, it's a, a very different, <laughs> definite difference between what I experience in the States. Um, but then there is a lot of those fears. And uh, Gladys, maybe you want to share some of those. Yeah, well, I know a lot of people just think just of what's happening over in Syria and just some of the what happened in Turkey with the pastor that was just arrested. But, you know, really the radical Islamists are a very, very small minority. And these are people mm-hmm. like us who just, who, who love their family, who love their community because that's all they know. And mm-hmm. they are, like Hazel said, they are just such a welcoming culture, not just our culture in North Africa, but really across the Muslim world. If you make friends with a Muslim, they're going to have you over for meals. They're going to have you over for tea. And they are going to be some of the warmest people you'll ever meet. And they are just like other Americans, Europeans. They they have a hole in their heart that they're looking for to be filled through Christ. And a lot of times they look for this for friendships. And I know here in the States, many of them are coming either as refugees or they've left their home country for a reason. They have left so much because of that close community bond that they have and they are seeking fellowship what better opportunity do we have as believers than to welcome them into our home to invite them out for coffee to help them learn english you know there's just so many opportunities that we as americans have to reach out to the muslims around us that are coming into america and you like you said, Alex, you're going to be so blessed by these people because they really are just such loving, caring people. Uh, here's another question for you as well. You guys, um, I would say, is pretty much a testimony to God's work in your life that you didn't encounter a serious uh, pushback from uh, friends and family, not that, not that you didn't encounter pushback, but that that didn't keep you from going to the field because many times mm-hmm. when people express a desire to serve in those ways, you know, you're, you're, you're aware of it, um, that, uh, sometimes yeah. people who are loved ones can be some of the, the biggest obstacles. And I'm sure for some of the people who are in ministry right now, listening, uh, I think of a potential, you know, pastor of ascending church thinking it would be mm-hmm. really exciting, um, to, to send a, a missionary to a, a country like this and to have involvement in people going into the 1040 window going into these pioneer settings mm. where where proselytizing is illegal and yet where people yeah. desperately need the gospel and hearts are gradually opening what encouragement would you give um, to people at home in churches uh, in the west in america uh, in particular 
uh, about sending, about the process of, of recognizing missionaries in their own midst and encouraging them to go and coming alongside them and supporting. Maybe some ways that that was done well in your own case. Uh, how could somebody be a part of, of helping launch more people mm-hmm. out in ministry like yourselves? Um, and what were what were some things that maybe your pastors did well or maybe some things that you wish had happened mm-hmm. a little bit differently that encouraged you along your way and really made it possible for you to have the ministry that you have now? Yeah. There are a couple things that were really for me, and I'm sure Gladys has some that were different for her, was um, one of my churches. They set me up with a lady from the church who um, was just a, a contact point for me. So she would check in with me every month, and we would talk about things, and she would ask a lot of questions. Um, and that was a huge blessing for me. Mm-hmm. And she was able to then share with the church more because she spent so much time praying for me and making sure that she was caught up um, and that the church was um you know, informed about prayer needs or physical needs, things like that. That was a really good blessing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the ways pastors can really promote missions is just putting it out there as an option. We we all are in churches where we have missionaries come through, but when it's rare that I hear it personalized, who in this congregation is feeling like this might be a direction God is calling you and just sharing the pastor's heart to send workers out. Mm-hmm. So in relation to that, that, that last comment you just made, you know, mm-hmm. I imagine there's someone listening to this and saying, um, Hey, that sounds like maybe something I would want to do, but I'm not a mm. doctor. I'm not a nurse. Um, what yeah. are there other things where I love to preach and I love to be <laughs> straight and honest and straightforward. And I don't know mm-hmm. if I could contain myself. That's another thing I've heard. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. what, so what would your, what, what does the ideal teammate look like? What kind of people do you need on your team? Um, mm. what, what could that look like for, for different people? Do they have to be a doctor or nurse in order to work with you? No, 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 no. <laughs> we, uh, when Gladys and I go around, we, we just keep promoting that, we, we do not want a teammate that is not following God. We, we want yeah. someone that, like us, is a sinner saved by grace, but that is mm-hmm. trying to push into Jesus every day. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's the kind of people that I'm calling out. Um, the people, you know, push into Jesus, see what he tells you every day when you are in your quiet moments. Um, because those are the people that um, they are going to be making a difference no matter where they are in the world, whether they're yeah. here or over there. We want somebody that is teachable because you go in with this grandioso idea of what's going to happen and 99.9% of the time, it doesn't look anything like you have plans. So Mm -hmm. someone that's willing to be flexible, and I've heard that too with those with an evangelistic gift. We need evangelists on our team, and I believe God gives us gifts for a reason, and he's not going to ask us to suppress those. And, yeah, you might have to be a little creative. You can't go out on the street handing out tracts, but you have people over in your home, and, you know, they're evangelizing us. Go for it. If you (laughs) have that passion for evangelism, you can do that in your home. You can do it privately, and it takes wisdom. It takes humility, but... You know, we, we are looking for people with those giftings. Um, Nita Hazel or I would probably say we're strong evangelists. That's not our biggest spiritual gift, but we do see that that can be used even in 
a restricted area. Really, God can use any skills for his glory if we're willing to be used. And and I'm encouraged by your example as well, because you see that God uses every member of the body on the field, that it's Mm -hmm. even in a pioneer Mm -hmm. setting. It's not just that we need people who are gifted in evangelism, but that, you know, all of the spiritual gifts that that encompass the local body of Christ from administration to teaching and exhortation and and helps and evangelism and and all those sorts of things that they all play a role in seeing people converted and churches formed. Scott, did you want to hop in? Yeah, I just want to get clarity in case someone's wondering if they could use their, not just their gift, but their skill. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you, you, Mm -hmm. are you only looking for medical personnel or are there other kinds of um, jobs? Jobs, uh, that people yeah. can take in, in order to, to yeah. get a visa in in uh, North Africa. Yeah, there's so many opportunities. Small businesses, uh, teaching English, medical, of course. Um, mm-hmm. Really, a lot of things to be started. So it it is an open field. Um, Leadership training. Any... So is yeah. it relatively easy to get a visa? Compared to some countries, I would say yes, mm-hmm. it is. In fact, there's some English. There's some English schools there that are always looking for English speakers to teach. You can come in as, you know, as a teacher, teaching elementary school, teaching high school. Um, and because it is a pioneering field, really any creativity, um, you might have to put some effort in initially, but there's lots of, there's, it's a developing country. So your options are completely endless. That's encouraging. And both of you, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We'll be praying for your ministry. We'll be praying for Sarah and we'll be praying for you both, especially, and that God would grow your team and that he would use even this Mm. conversation right now to stir in the hearts of people uh, who have some of these gifts and skill sets and who could see themselves ministering in a restricted access country uh, to come alongside you guys and join you. So thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. Sure. Well, thanks for having us. And I just want to throw out a quick plug. If we are both women in a cross-Islamic world, there are a lot of women missionaries Mm. and very few guys. Mm. So if there's any guys out there, what is keeping you from this part of the world? Mm. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you for your strong words. Uh, Thank you. If you want to get more great content on theology, missions, and practice, go to missionspodcast.com. And while you're there, make sure that you subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite listening platform. And please make sure that you also give us an honest review and a five-star rating. And don't forget to be sending your questions to alex at missionspodcast.com, along with any other ideas for future episodes. And until next time, thank you for joining us.